0: Welcome to Bridging Chicago, a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to Chicago's business, community, cultural, and charity leaders, brought to you by the SATC Solutions Center. You can connect with us on Instagram or Twitter, where our handle is, at Bridging Chicago. For more information, including our email, visit us online at satcsolutions.com. Be sure to rate and subscribe to Bridging Chicago on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bridging Chicago. I'm Savannah Roundtree, your host for this conversation. Today's episode is actually part two of a conversation that I'm continuing with Dan. In a previous podcast, we got into his background and his history in the real estate market in Chicago. And in this episode, we're gonna dive a little bit more into his experience in the field of cannabis. So if you'd like to listen to the first part of our conversation, go check out that episode. Otherwise, here's the second half of our conversation. Thanks for listening. All right. So at this point, we're going to shift gears maybe a little bit, maybe not. Um, I am very interested. You also, as I mentioned before, have a um, long history, long being relative because I don't think many other people in the cannabis Um, industry have this much expertise necessarily just because, um, it's a very rapidly growing field. I don't know. Um, but I know that you were an early adopter of forecasting, um, you know, cannabis sales in a real estate space and, you know, maybe it's close to your, um, you know, sort of daily needs study. I'm not sure, Hmm. but, um, you know, how did you get into, um, the cannabis space, um, as such an early adopter
1: well yeah I've got a personal story in it as well i I've always been interested in it um, and and felt that you know there would be this type of a movement at some point in time um, towards legalization mm-hmm. I actually with a bunch of real estate buddies tried in 2014 when the first Illinois wave of licenses was being uh, offered. We put a little group together for fun and applied for some licenses, but we were, we were, uh, it was comical how uninformed we were and how, um, yeah you know, how versed you needed to be and connected you needed to be um, yeah. to, to win a license. So it was a failed kind of fun attempt with some buddies. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, some other, friends of ours that were in the real estate business won licenses at that time. Uh, and so I followed their story. Um, I think a lot of my other buddies who tried kind of dropped the idea at that point, but I was hell bent on getting into the industry and in especially in tenant representation. So I followed the winners who were a grassroots company, um, out of, out of, uh, Deerfield and, um, ultimately, um, got involved with them and, uh, in 2018, took over their brokerage for uh, tenant representation, and it turned out that I picked the right horse because they're Illinois' leader in dispensaries, and they're a multi-state operator with uh, operating in over 13 states right now, and they're in the process of an acquisition by the nation's leader, Curaleaf, um which makes the footprints even bigger. So that's kind of a quick um, story from then until today, but I think... Most importantly to me, just personally, is that I've personally seen my son, who is now 13, uh, his life changed for the better through the use of cannabis oils, and um, he's a medical patient now. He's He has autism, and uh, as parents, um, we were those autistic parents that have tried every intervention known to man, mm-hmm. um, and we... Found success with cannabis oil like no other attempt we've ever had, and my and it's been a game changer for us, and it solidified my mind that th- this isn't just a new retail concept that that I can find some sites for. It's uh it's it's a game changer for for the medical community, probably for retail, um, and. And for the world, really, and, and we're really on the cusp of it. So it is amazingly exciting that I've been able to meld those two kind of passions into my business world.
0: Yeah, I think we are definitely on the cusp of something, especially, um, it's something I just have sort of a background interest on. I try to keep up to date on, you know, how um, this process is going on in Illinois. Um, just for people that don't know, um, Illinois recently, um, starting in 2020 legalized um, the selling of recreational cannabis and marijuana products, so um, not only do we have medical dispensaries, but we now have some recreational ones opening up, and you mentioned earlier, you know, your failed attempt at getting a license, and um, I don't know if you want to explain just a little bit more about how difficult that process is. I know some people um, on the legal side have been going through it currently, but um, you know, something like over a thousand people are applying for about 75 spots. And if you want to just go into a little bit more about, you know, how difficult this process is to get going.
1: Sure. Il- Illinois, there's been some real positives and some negatives to Illinois' rollout of, Mar- of marijuana, medical marijuana, and now into legalized cannabis sales. So early on, we were a very limited licensed state. Very limited amount of licenses handed out, and under the former governor, who was not an advocate of any form of legalization, um, we, were, we had very limited medical conditions that were even allowable when we first started the medical pilot program, and a lot of them were just silly. It didn't make sense. They weren't allowing post-traumatic stress disorder as a con- allowable condition for a medical patient until uh, Pritzker became governor and that's the number one obvious condition for treatment that is generally accepted and it just didn't make any sense so things of that nature limited license state limited conditions which in some instances you know limits the market obviously but for investors uh, and for the cannabis companies it means opportunity you want to be in a limited license state where you know if you can get a license you're gonna you're gonna control some territory Mm -hmm. Um, and so, in that, in that regard, the slow start and the very conservative start to the medical program in Illinois, in my mind, was a big negative. It should have opened up a lot greater. We were learning a lot more from different states about medical, and it should have opened up uh, the conditions, and the, the industry should have been allowed to make more money. So, therefore, the guys like my buddies who won in 14 and opened up in 16. They, it, they did it at great risk. They put, sunk a bunch of money in. Some of it lost money. Um, and they weren't really able to make a lot of money under those conditions with limited uh, allowable patients. And at, at the time, even until late last year, we had less than 100,000 medical patients signed up, which was comical considering our population. Okay. Uh, so fast forward <clears throat> to uh, late last year under Pritzker. And everything's changed. He, he came in and, and announced you know, that he was running partially on a uh, legalization of cannabis to create tax revenue, and he pulled it off on the first try. And they were the first state to do it legislatively um, and on the first try. And we opened up uh, on January 1st. He also was, in my mind, wise enough to do the what we call the flip the switch model which other states haven't done, meaning the 55 that were open, if they uh, fill out some applications and pay a fee, can flip the switch and convert to adult sales immediately on January 1st. That made great sense. They were the ones that took the risks and took the pain early on and can obviously effectively get open. Um, And so I think that part of our rollout is the model for the country now. The, The rollout of the adult use and the way we did it with the flip the switch and the way we're you know, aggressively trying to roll out the next wave of license and do it with social equity, mm-hmm. uh, uh, real teeth to the, to the legislation, is now a model for the rest of the country. So we've sort of gone from under Rauner, a very kind of very slow and, and stumbling start out of the gate with medical, but now I think you know, we've become a national leader in the, in the movement in many ways.
0: Yeah, that's uh, very interesting. I didn't know that Illinois was the first to use that sort of flip the switch model. Um, it just seems like the like obvious <laughs> way to get recreational sales started, um, if you ask me. So I'm glad to see that Illinois is sort of um, leading the model for that. Um, you've talked about the risks associated with starting a dispensary in terms of sort of the investment and obviously there's the political fallout and all of that. Um, Something I'm interested to know if you run into is um, the more the real estate side of that. I know that um, we have seen in a lot of um, landlord leases that there's clauses that say that they can't um, lease space to sort of the coded language is like a nuisance or something like that. Um, And so do you find that it's especially hard to get spots for dispensaries? Do you have to do um, a lot of extra explaining as opposed to other retail spaces? How does that work for you?
1: It's been extremely difficult. The fact that marijuana is still a Schedule 1 federally classified uh, drug, which puts it in the category of cocaine, et cetera. Um, means that there's no federal banking allowed. Obviously, we have a we have what's called the Safe Banking Act, which will allow uh, a hands-off kind of solution to states that legalize that the feds will stay out of their business. But that so far has only passed uh, the House and is stalled in the Senate. It's actually been baked into the latest stimulus uh, bill, um, the the next round, and we'll see if that happens to bring some banking. Into it, so therefore, when you're dealing with that, you almost cannot deal with a property that has a mortgage. No lender would touch it, Um, and there's almost no exceptions. And and they're they're definitely not going to touch it if it's a multi-tenant strip or or power center where you've got anchors to deal with. It's just not worth uh, the aggravation. Mm -hmm. So until we get safe banking um, and the ability for lenders to start, you know, uh, allowing Leases with cannabis to their to their clients that that is going to be a continued logjam. Consequently, we've had to purchase a lot of our properties so far. Um, there are situations where we've got properties that we identified that are of the right zoning, and we've got an owner with low debt or can buy out their loan and and do a cannabis deal as a lease. Mm-hmm. But those are fairly rare for the most part. And then on top of that, um, to your point earlier, you you have to if you are going to be successful and even Um, you know, trying to enter some sort of a center, you're going to have to deal with old language and old leases um, that that are being interpreted. And and even Savannah, someone like yourself looking at an old lease, Mm. you know, they probably didn't contemplate legal dispensaries at the time when they put their restrictions in. So you might see language like to your point of noxious uses Mm -hmm. or etc. But that technically is not a cannabis dispensary that is delivering medical product to pay cancer patients, um, you know, etc. So it, it's it's really to go back to that language and understand the restrictions is really tricky. I think if you it's one of those if you ask the question you're uh, you, you're going to get denied. So if you if you go seek permission from a big anchor in today's world and the, and the language is gray, you can expect that you're not going to get a favorable response because why why would they? Take that risk in any way, shape, or form, and they don't see they don't see dispensaries yet as a traffic generating, uh, a creative tenant to their mix. So that will change as well.
0: Um, it definitely wasn't contemplated, but I know it's something a lot of um, landlords and their legal counsel are struggling to um, you know come to terms with right now. But I think if they want to see demand, they just need to. Um, you know, walk around the neighborhoods that do have dispensaries, because I've seen lines out of a lot of them recently. (laughs) So, um, you know, I know that you said that there's been a real uptick in the cannabis market, you know, once the legalization happened, and obviously now everyone is on stay-at-home orders, and I, I know that you do a sort of bi biweekly um, blog update on MidAmerica's website about the cannabis market. But can you just tell us a little bit about how, um, you know, all of these COVID shutdowns have affected the market?
1: Again, fascinating because we've, had, we've been open, you know, basically four full months uh, going into a fifth full month in Illinois. Um, the opening was... Off the charts, almost double the expectations in revenue. Uh, The first three months, uh, almost 100 million in sales. And the third month is March, when we were half quarantined. And then in April, while we were fully quarantined, uh, the numbers were over 30 million again in Illinois. So consistently, um, 30 plus million a month in sales since we started adult use. Mm -hmm. In January which is well beyond projections and is kicking off unbelievable tax revenue uh, beyond double the projection Um, and and that is all happening despite challenges there are so many challenges it's it's a miracle to me that those numbers are maintaining themselves in April because uh, as a caregiver to my son so I hold a card to get his product there's amazing shortages especially in medical products and tinctures Etc. But there's amazing product shortages at every dispensary in Illinois. None of the dispensaries in Illinois were equipped. I shouldn't say none, but the majority were not equipped to convert to curbside pickup in their locations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were forced to and, and make it work. So you've got you know um, you've got dispensaries where you know someone has to carry a bag across a parking lot with a mask on and. Um, you know, do a transaction across the parking lot. Well, you know, none of them have drive-throughs. Drive-throughs not allowable. Delivery is not allowable. So they had to shift on the fly, get very good at their digital marketing and digital ordering if they weren't already uh, savvy in how they were um, taking online orders. Then they had to convert to a you know makeshift curbside pickup model that the uh, physical locations really didn't accommodate very well. Um, and we've got. Unbelievable product shortages while the while the very limited amount of growers in illinois uh expand right now in process, so to put up uh equal numbers in April to the miraculous months of January through March was fascinating to me and really says a lot about the growth of the industry
0: yeah I think if um You know, these older landlords sort of saw all the work and all the research and, um, you know, the adaptability that these dispensaries have gone through in order to keep such enormous sales up. I think they might be a little more amenable to leasing their spaces. (laughs) But
1: I I mean, they're providing great traffic. Uh, They're hiring. They're hiring good, you know these are jobs, these aren't typical retail jobs either, you know, without, without offending any retail job, it's the, the product knowledge is at a higher level in, uh, in a dispensary, you're dealing with patients that want some consultation, they don't expect you to, uh, you know, obviously uh, give them doctorly advice, but they, they want product knowledge, it's a higher level of employee, they're hiring right now, Uh, they're opening locations right now, they're kicking off amazing tax revenue, and, um, you know, not only are they anecdotally helping relieve the symptoms of COVID-19, whether it's uh, stress, anxiety, um, etc. But they're also rushing to the science as well to see if indeed CBD and, and cannabis can be, uh, 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 you know, obviously a, a partial solution uh, to prevent COVID. And the early results are, are promising. They're rushing as much as any other segment of the medical industry is rushing to find a solution for COVID. But so far they're finding some connection to the decrease in inflammation and connectivity to cells, et cetera.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All those things are amazing. You know, you just, it, it were just, it, it just makes so much sense that, that, um, they're they're going to be welcomed in, um, as, as a daily needs catalyst instead of a nuisance tenant if they ever were one.
0: Yeah. Um, I think those are all really great points. I hope you are making them to all of the future landlords that you need. Uh, you know, one
1: more thing I'll say, Savannah, like in, to your point, because I, I just wanted to talk about that in terms of incentives and the perception and everything. Yeah. And, and I've been at a million community meetings debating allowing cannabis mm-hmm. and around Chicagoland um, and obviously representing grassroots. And I think one people, the one thing that people forget is when you really think about a dispensary, it in essence, it's a doctor's office. It, you know, you, you've got everyone from you know all walks of life walking in with all different types of reasons for walking in. Whether they have anxiety and they're an adult user without a license, or or they or they're using it for pain or whatever, or they're or they're or they're, or they're treating their cancer uh, chemotherapy treatments and trying to get through chemo, or they're with my son, you know, changing our world by the you know lessening the symptoms of autism, um, and helping him thrive at school, you know, these things are, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's amazing, you know, how much further we really have to go and to think that, that it it needs to be sold to folks as a positive is still, you know, it's frustrating for me, but I, but I, I love doing it because it's an easy story to me.
0: Yeah, um I definitely could see where the frustration comes through. I mean, just for me, if you look at the research just bare minimum, you know, you could see that it has even if you're just using recreationally, uh, you know, far fewer side effects and harms than alcohol and obviously we have liquor stores on, you know, in every neighborhood. Um so I've never really what understood thing you could land- What back. can we
1: tell landlords as well? Sorry. Um the one thing we tell landlords as well when you uh if you do your homework is that this facility arguably is going to be the most secured uh well lit camera ready uh facility in your shopping center or in or in your portfolio or whatever the case may be it's not it's the opposite of some of their perception in terms of it being a potential problem um you know having uh you know Bob Marley posters in the in the storefront <laughs> yeah. for your kids to look at. Um, you know, none of that. That's all just crazy old perception. That none of that. I still hear it, but it's obviously it's just not true. So, you know, the world will wake up to that um, slowly but surely.
0: Yeah, and so you know, we've talked a lot about all of this expansion that's happening, and I know a lot of dispensaries are now looking for um, second locations. I know you've been handling um, a lot of the second site expansion for Grassroots. Um. so does it get any easier once you have like a proven model with you know um, solid numbers or do you still face the same challenges trying to find second locations as you did for the original ones
1: that's an interesting question I think just like any other uh, retail retailer that I've worked with in the last 25 years obviously you I, I shoot to work for best in class and mm-hmm. I've been lucky enough to do so, and you know they have staying power, and they have a history, and they have successful stores all over the country. So it's it's a lot uh, less risk for the landlords that I deal with. Um, And um, if I'm lucky enough to represent, you know, best in class retailers with you know strong financials and and store networks behind them, that makes my job obviously a lot easier. Cannabis is a little different animal because of what we already kind of talked about in terms of really whether you want to deal with it or not. Sometimes you just can't by banking or, or what have you. Um, but certainly being with someone, you know, representing someone like grassroots who's Illinois leader and soon to be part of the national leader, you know, makes things a lot easier when you're trying to sell a landlord or a, or a municipality on, on the use. Um, so that, you know, that part is is kind of obvious, but I think that, um, what you're really dealing with more is the challenges of site selection being limited zoning is is the hard part and municipality to municipality rulemaking. And that's just part of the cannabis industry. That's been the really challenging part more than just the tenant and, and uh, selling the industry, et cetera. That's the challenge of cannabis is, is dealing town to town and alderman to alderman.
0: Yeah. So something else that, uh, cannabis retail might have a different issue with that maybe you don't see in the grocery stores or other retail spaces is that there's a lot of um, municipal coding and zoning restrictions around uh, cannabis specifically. Um, Is that ever something you've run into with other retailers and how does that affect you having to find a space?
1: Is a totally unique situation in cannabis. I, I, I assume maybe there's medical licensing and even bank charters that probably fall into somewhat of the same category in terms of an added layer, um, you know, to get your entitlements to open uh, a store. However, in cannabis now, you're dealing around Chicagoland with first the opt in, opt out ability of every municipality, which they had the right to do. So you have to first understand who's opting in and who's opting out. And some are still in progress today to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Number one. Number two, if that uh, suburb opts in, they're allowed to layer in their own uh, restrictions on top of the 1,500 foot from another dispensary rule. So they can add in a school restriction and a daycare restriction and whatever they choose. So those are all different town by town, and you have to understand them at a different layer. That's unique. Then you dig into the city of Chicago, and that, quite honestly, has been, you know, a, a real challenge. And and they're trying to figure it out as they go. Uh, we had a lottery to uh, to figure out how to you know produce uh, an even amount of sites throughout the city. Um, that has turned into being, even though, you know, Grassroots was in the lottery and won the right to do some things, has been very challenging to execute. And then the city changed zoning. Um, basically, we had sites locked and loaded, as did our competitors, and the city changed the rules. And late last year, and said, C2, C3, DX zoning only. We lost, you know, and, and I'm not, all of our competitors, everyone lost well over 50% of the inventory they had tied up in a lot of money when that zoning changed. Was uh, was brought down from on high. So, and we, in a lot of cases, we had to start over. So, unbelievably frustrating when you thought you were getting some big advantage, maybe to open a second site before the rest of the world because you had taken the pain in 2014, 2015, etc. It hasn't turned out to be such a privilege.
0: Yeah, I imagine it's very difficult dealing with uh, layers upon layers of different uh, bureaucracies, different. Zonings, codes all of that and to have it changed in the middle of your process um i'm sure it's extremely frustrating <laughs> um i'm gonna talk a little bit we've been talking about all this expansion um obviously with your expertise in not only cannabis but also urban grocery markets you're sort of dealing with um two categories of retail spaces that are maybe not as affected by COVID as other retail spaces. I know earlier in our conversation, you alluded to this time being sort of similar to um, what happened in 2008. I wonder if you would just talk a little bit about how you've seen all of these um, stay-at-home orders, shelter-in-place orders um, affecting sort of the commercial real estate market.
1: Sure. Yeah, it's it's. I know I referenced that as similar, just in terms of um, you know something that I've been through in my career that was a dramatic event and downturn. Um, but it's totally different, and and the reaction to it is is totally different. Obviously, that was a banking crisis. This is a health crisis, mm-hmm. um, and I think you know, uh, first off, Americans are being very resilient. We're in a world now, unlike 08, where things are getting delivered to folks doorsteps daily uh, to begin with. So stepping up your skills in that um, category and learning how to be a little bit more of an online shopper when you need to, um, obviously, um, it is different. And I think the fact that, yeah, in, in, in that downturn, it affected all retailers in a certain way, shape, or form, it affected all households. In this downturn, um, it affects only a certain portion, and it affects them dramatically, If you're a retailer that's kind of, you know, touch and feel the product, um, then in this COVID world, uh, that's going to be a problem and it's going to be slow to bounce back. Um, For instance, health clubs, big health clubs, Um, for instance, uh, all the new, you know, entertainment venues of climbing gyms and, um, uh, you know, different uh, Orange Theory Fitness and um, uh, movie theaters and gathering places. Obviously, there's going to be a little... Big. Those are going to be tough. Retail concepts are going to be slow to recover, and they're going to have to look different dramatically. You know, when we do emerge, um, and then other retailers, uh, you know, obviously, grocers have been able to step up their game and even expand their delivery services and um, put up some incredible numbers. And then, and then, you focus on my micro world of cannabis, and that you know, fortunately, was deemed an essential business, and rightfully so. So they all remained open, and they've turned out to be essential. Um, and so I think uh, you know coming out of it, certainly I think there's going to be a lot of pent up demand um, for for just shopping in general, and the you know Americans' desire to spend and and certain purchases they've been putting off. But I do think fundamentally. Uh, the retail world is going to change forever in terms of uh, the categories where you're touching and feeling product. It has to change forever because of this.
0: Yeah, I've seen a lot of um, more, like I live in Logan Square and I've seen a lot of neighborhood businesses really up the delivery or curbside pickup options that they're um, you know able to offer. Just so they can stay in business. And um, I'll be really interested to see if um, that sort of delivery mindset keeps up or if people are like just really want to get out of their homes and like touch some products <laughs> once they're able to leave. But it's definitely going to be an interesting time to be looking at retail spaces, I think.
1: No doubt, no doubt.
0: And then finally, I just saw um, one more interesting thing before I sort of get to our wrap up conversation um, on your, um, on one of your profiles, I saw that you do um, some partnerships between coffee and cannabis. And I just wonder, you know, how that came about and what that sort of partnership looks like.
1: Awesome. I appreciate you asking about that. I'm involved with uh, Aspire as an organization, Aspire of Chicago, which is a, Uh, an organization that um, does job training for young adults with disabilities to get them into the working world, and it's a great organization. I'd encourage anyone to take a look at them, Aspire of Chicago. But they have an offshoot uh, mission called Aspire Coffee Works, and it's a partnership with Metropolis Coffee of Chicago, one of of the great remaining local roasters. They dedicated in partnership kind of a, a small portion of their roastery on the northwest side to Aspire, and they let it uh, operate as a training ground for um, Aspire candidates to work out of the roastery in that vignette. And they basically produce four different blends of Aspire coffee um, that are sold in Whole Foods and online and in different stores under the Aspire Coffee Works brand. And all the proceeds uh, go back to the mission of Aspire, training adults with disabilities. So Aspire Coffee Works. We have it at Mid America. It's Metropolis Coffee. It's fantastic. It, the employees are so thankful to be part of a cool mission. Mission when they're drinking good coffee anyway every day. Yeah,
0: I um, Metropolis. so I'll definitely um, a yeah. look um, out for it, that label next time I'm it, getting some coffee. Whole Foods
1: carries it, but they're also in about a hundred offices now in Chicago, so it's growing uh, rapidly. And then to me, the the it's I'm not any times but the relationship between coffee and cannabis is obvious and i and i uh you know i'm trying to formulate in some way shape or form you know those partnerships here locally in terms of not only product development but you know promotionally and also the fact that since aspire was able to create this partnership with metropolis and create a coffee initiative that people love and it's working, why can't we do the same thing for cannabis? It's a natural evolution. The industry has great demand for employment. Uh, The industry uh, has great demand for jobs that might be quite honestly more suited for a uh, a young adult with autism or um, a certain disability where they're maybe not comfortable in the office environment, but they're very skilled, uh, you know, amazing, uh, amazing at their job, but don't don't like the office politics of a typical office. So that's my goal is to create a long term partnership where where cannabis is another training vignette at Aspire, just like uh, coffee is.
0: Yeah, that sounds incredible. And I especially love any business that sort of brings two separate Chicago entities together. I just love seeing, you know, Chicago people working with Chicago people. Yeah, yeah. Um, So unless there's anything else you want to cover, I'm going to wrap it up with a few questions that I ask all of our guests. Um, My my first question is always, um, if there was um, a young young professional just getting into the market, it can be either just commercial real estate or, um, you know, cannabis real estate uh, specifically, what advice would you give to them?
1: Great question. I like to think I've worked with a lot of young brokers in admit, uh, america and helped develop and have, <clears throat> because of my background, have sort of a little extra sense for that. Mentorship is crucial. You, you have to have, you have to lock on like I was fortunate to do with Paul Bryant many years ago, and he's just an unbelievable uh, role model for what I'm describing. Um, but you have to find someone that you can partner with that you can be accountable to, um, and grow with, and, uh, can teach you the ropes, uh, while you're adding value to that person's business. So that's absolutely critical. Trying to figure it out on your own, uh, or going to a company that says, don't worry about it. We got a lot of people around here. They'll give you attention when you need it, but we don't have anyone to assign to you right now, uh, is a recipe for disaster. Um, so that's number one, and I would say number two. It's something that you know I did 25 years ago and is still relevant today. Is at some point you got to pick a pick a major and <laughs> and get really really good at it. Yeah. You can't be a generalist forever. Um, and I picked mine really early on and stuck with it, and it was risky, but it's paid off. And I think whether you're, a, you know, we have guys in America that are restaurant specialists and they've built a whole career just. Laser focused on restaurant deals. What and and you know I'm trying to do it in cannabis now. And we've got guys that are you know health club specialists. We've got urban specialists, suburban specialists, and I think that's really important because you want to be able to. It's a big market. It's vast. It's changing. It's got all these different categories, and the one thing you want to bring to the table is that when you're talking to a client or retailers, that I know this category, this geography. Like the back of my hand, and that that's that's uh, important. So you know, specialization and mentorship, I'd say, are the two biggest things.
0: Great, and so finally, just to bring it back to Chicago, this might be a little bit tainted by our current shelter-in-place orders, but this can be, you know, once we're all um, free to go about our normal lives again. What is your favorite thing to do in Chicago? Wow! Wow! It can just be a time? No, I don't just, want to put too much fresh on you. <laughs> One of many.
1: Um, I, I, you know, quite honestly, it's just staying downtown with my wife and and just ex, and just exploring the city for a day. It doesn't have to be anything specific. It's simply just now that we live in the suburbs and we spend all that time in the city. If we get a chance to go down in our own town and have a stay night downtown and just be able to walk around those unbelievable neighborhoods, whether it's the gold coast or off Michigan Avenue or into the neighborhoods or in Hyde park or whatever the case may be. There doesn't really even need to be an agenda or any specific thing. It's just being able to explore a day in the city.
0: Yeah. That's actually whenever I need to just like clear my head, I just sort of pick a neighborhood and take off walking. So I also love just experiencing the city. It's awesome. Um, yeah. Well Dan, thank you so much. I may have learned more on today's podcast about cannabis real estate than I've you know ever learned about a different topic and I am so thankful for your knowledge and expertise today.
1: Oh, it's a great pleasure. I'm so thankful you had me on and uh, to talk about it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago as produced by the SATC Solutions Center.